Adulting. Hello, and welcome to an exciting episode of Adulting. Morgan is unfortunately not with me right this moment, but I just wanted to give you guys a little heads up. We're going to take the next couple weeks off. Uh, holidays get crazy for both of us, so we decided to just kind of lay low for the next couple weeks. Hopefully that'll give you a chance to get caught up on all of our previous episodes and be excited for the new year and the new us, right? This episode is an interview I did for a previous podcast with a, a man named John Pacheco from Welch's. It was a really fun episode and I really wanted it to get released. So I thought it might be fun because in the new year we're looking to do interviews with some adults. So if you know any adults, go ahead and uh, send us some ideas of people you know who might want to be on our podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun and we've already got some in the works that I think you're really going to enjoy. So be looking forward to that and we will see you in the new year. Thank you all for listening. Happy holidays. Can you hear us? Yeah, I'm out by my vineyard right now, actually. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> I've got four bars on my phone. I don't know what was going on. Yeah, that's so weird. They're like three like, different locations. Where... <laughs> it just it wanted you to be out in the grapes. I, I guess so. So I'm going <laughs> to sit. I'm going to go into my car and just okay. um, sit down so that I'm not sitting in the street. <laughs> Hey, you can put like an ad out and ask for like some donations or something. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, there you go. Let me, let me just uh, put the windows down here. Let me can. Yeah, don't don't get too hot. That's that's good. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us. Well, I'm very happy to join you. It sounds like uh, it'll be a fun conversation. Yes, we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I've got um, a couple co-hosts with me. Uh, Lindsay and Rachel are here. Hi, Lindsay Hi. and Rachel. Hello. <laughs> we work. Um, we work out in the vineyard. Yep. We yeah. take care of the plants. Awesome. Yeah. So, whereabouts are you located? We are in um, a little town called Julieta, Idaho. Idaho. I didn't know they had vineyards out in Idaho. I thought, yeah. you know, when you hear Idaho, you think about potatoes first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most people do. We actually export most of our potatoes. And in the north, we don't have any potato farms, I don't think. No, we eat Washington potatoes here. We do. Mm -hmm. Shamefully, it is. Really? Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably cheaper in your area than they are if we buy them in Idaho. Have you ever been over to uh, Yakima? Yakima Valley? We have, yes. I was actually just in Walla Walla yesterday, which is sort of in that area. But my brother lives over in... Um, the Tri-Cities, so. Okay, yeah, I stay in the Tri-Cities. I stay over in, um, I guess it would be Richland area. Just, yeah. uh, you know, where the airport is, Pasco, and I go out to okay. the plant, I stay there. Yeah, I was wondering if you'd ever come out this air, this way, because I know you guys have the one vineyard in um, that valley there. Yeah, we have a number of growers. Um, as I said in the, one of the questions, I gave you some of the percentages. Um, mm -hmm. Grandview in that area, that plant services Yakima Valley, and it's a very large part of the Welch's Co-op. 
or That's the awesome. National Grape Co-op, and the you know Welch's were part of the National Grape Co-op. Yeah. How how does that co-op work? Like, what is that? Like, are you guys a? Is it just include like your growers, or is that co-op like include like other companies? It only includes our growers. So mm-hmm. you have to be a national grape grower, and okay. I'm not I'm not the expert. So the way that it's it's handled, you know, we have National Grape that manages the farmer side of the business, and they manage the payments to the growers, for example. But Welch's mm-hmm. is really the the marketing arm, the brand, the marketing arm, and the business side yeah. of the arrangement. So, you know, we have we have a you know what you typically would think of as a uh, large company. We're not that large, right? We're a billion dollar brand um, compared to some of these la- larger food and beverage companies. But mm-hmm. we have all the typical functions that you would see in a normal company, finance, sales, marketing, R&D, supply chain. And then we have, you know, our corporate officers. And, right. you know, we run it like a typical company, but instead of there being shareholders like there are you know, on the New York Stock Exchange, mm-hmm. uh, our growers, depending on the number of acres they own, that mm-hmm. that's basically their share in the company. Well, and cool. then they get paid. And the, it's a very complicated model, but essentially they're <laughs> getting paid for the amount of tons that they bring in mm-hmm. and the amount of sugar that's in the, in the uh, grapes themselves. Oh, that's cool. So there's a there's a pay scale that is uh, managed by the National Grape. I guess I'd call it the general manager of National Grape, and and oh, they gotcha. they take care of all the financials on that. But it's very important to our growers to get paid well, right? For right. The, for their grapes, <laughs> yeah. and you didn't really delve into it in some of your questioning, but uh-huh. there there's some real differences on the yield side. Uh, between yeah. Concord and Niagara grapes. I don't know if you've delved into that at all, but on the wine grapes, which you're more familiar with, and if you look, right. you know, we've been working with some wineries and, and uh, actually trying to grow, um, try to vertically integrate. So some of the questions you had here regarding uh, the use of other types of grapes, if we don't have enough grapes, enough Concord and Niagara to make our own products, we buy USA Grown California grape concentrate. And what we're trying to do now is look at opportunities to grow our own, um, I'll call it neutral juice that is blended in with our Concord and Niagara. So we've been exploring that, working with the University of Minnesota, who's got a number of cold, hardy grapes that they grow. But working with them, uh, they talked to us about the yield for wine grapes is typically two to four tons per acre. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And the price for those tons is much higher than juice grapes. So, you know, you see 500 to 1,000, maybe even more than that per ton. We're right now paying our growers somewhere on the order of two to 250 a ton. Gotcha. So in order That's for them difference. to stay, yeah, it's a huge difference. Yeah. So in order for them to stay in business, they need to improve their yields over time. And they have, and typically in the East, you're seeing anywhere between seven and eight tons per acre for Concord, maybe eight or nine tons per acre for Niagara grapes. And in the West, in Yakima, they're getting north of 10 tons, probably more like 11 to 12 tons per acre. Wow. (laughs) It's huge, right? That's a huge (laughs) difference. 
<laughs> yes, that's yeah. And I know like one of my questions was about like um, the growing in like the east because it seems like a lot of your farmers are in the east, um, and then you have the ones in the uh, Willamette Valley. And um, I know there's a lot of like wine grapes that are grown in the Willamette Valley, so that was where my question came from about like, if there was a different like microclimate for the different grapes varieties, um, or if you could kind of grow wine grapes alongside juice grapes in most areas. But I mean, from we have growers actually in Yakima Valley mm -hmm. that uh, Dick Boucher, if you look up his name, okay. you will see he's a well-renowned grower in Washington. So, mm -hmm. B-O-U-S-H-E-Y, I think is how he spells his last name. And he, he's, on, he's on our board of directors, and he's been written up in a lot of the local um, newspapers, you know, wine publications. Oh. He grows some excellent wine grapes, oh, and cool. but he also is a grower for Welch's. So cool. you can grow yeah. them. You don't necessarily growing them on the same plot, right. right? You create a different set. It's a different um, setup. You know, I'm not, mm -hmm. I can't pretend to be the expert on the growing <laughs> side of things. I am right. an expert on the processing and blending of our grapes and, right. you know, working on that side. But, um, you know, clearly the way you set up a trellis and the way you set up a vineyard for wine grapes is different. Okay. Than than you do for um, for our grapes and our grapes are more cold hardy as I as I said in here right. you know they yeah. uh, in the West there's much less you asked about pests there's much less of an issue around pests because it's so dry right you know, you're you're in a desert so you don't really have the same types of issues that we have in the East that we have to deal with right yeah I know here we spray um, for um mildew mildew yeah mildew is our biggest Big thing killer. that yeah. we try to fight is just mildew because it's so wet in the spring and then it gets so hot yeah, yeah. that's similar pottery mil pottery mildew we we battle that more in the east um you know we have uh, a lot more moisture i guess a lot more humid conditions mm -hmm. out in the michigan you know, because they're next to a lake, right? So they're next to right. Lake Erie, Lake Michigan. Yeah, so you end up like... having, uh, but the lake, in fact, if you study Terry Bates, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Terry Bates out of Cornell. I have not. But he is an excellent resource if you want to understand um, the Eastern viticulture around Concord and Niagara grapes, because he's working very closely. We, we have research that we do both in Welch's R&D, which is more process and product related mm -hmm. um, and packaging. But then there's actually viticultural research to help the growers with yield, with crop estimation, you know, a number of things that, that they do. Cornell provides those services. And Dr. Terry Bates is very, very, uh, very influential, very well known. He's working on a USDA project right now called the Efficient Vineyard Project. So they're trying to bring in a lot of the high tech um, things now that you see out there um, to make growing grapes 
more efficient for our growers than than it already is. So would you say he's sort of like uh, Terry Bates is kind of like a consultant for you guys? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, we we fund his research. So we mm-hmm. tend to uh, we put aside, we set aside a certain number of amount of funds per year. National Grape does. And, you know, a lot of things they're they're uh, looking at are pest control. You know, there's always different pests. A uh, number of years ago, I remember the Asian lady beetle. I didn't mention that in here, but the Asian lady beetle was something that was uh, thought to become a real issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we studied that. Um, they studied how to eradicate it, how to protect against it. Um, so they'll pay, you know, Penn State, Michigan State, and Cornell get, uh, and Washington state mm-hmm. university get the bulk of those funds to do the research for, you know, to understand for the local vineyards, for the local, um, local farmers. Okay. So uh, they're, they're working more in like in the area region, the region. Exactly. So Terry Bates is in Fredonia, New York. And then you have, uh, some of the, you know, the researchers in Washington state are right there in Yakima Valley. Yeah. And, and Michigan state is fairly close to, uh, you know, where our growers are in Michigan. That's cool that you have them like localized like that, that I think. That's... Yeah. It's really important, right? Cause each climate's yeah. different. Each, uh, the growing conditions, the environment, the, yeah. you know, the weather patterns. I mean, yeah. there's so many different things that, that come into play. And Terry Bates, in fact, he has a model that correlates bud break, which is really important in the springtime for us, mm-hmm. bud break with lake temperature. Ooh, and wow. if you had ice on the lake or you didn't have ice on the lake over the wintertime and cool. with global warming, there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that are changing. Yeah. Um, I've noticed by studying some of the data that we, we get, we collect a lot of data every year mm-hmm. and we have a historical data going back to 1966 on uh, at least in the east, right? And you'll look at that data, and you see that the we look at the first frost day, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a risk of losing crop in right. October, November, and that that average frost date has moved out by six days already mm-hmm. in Michigan wow. over the last ten years. Mm-hmm. That's wow. huge. That that, that, is, that and so you know when you talk about global warming, there's an effect right there. Yeah, And so that's extending the harvest season, which is helpful. Right. But in the spring, if we don't get the, if we don't get the right conditions and we end up having a warm March and mm-hmm. we get early bud break, it puts our crop at risk mm. in April when you typically will have nights in the twenties. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That you probably deal with that as well, right? Yeah, the... we do. We do. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys, do you guys do most of your pruning by hand, or do you do it by machine for the most part? Machine harvesting, okay. um, and we do a lot of the thinning of the crop by machine as well. It's... Okay. How about the the pruning? Is it hand pr- hand pruned or? Um, Depends on the size of the farm. You know, if okay. you have a, and I think during certain points of the year they might do uh, some hand pruning. Mm-hmm. But they've had to try to, you know, mechanize as much as possible given yeah. the low payments per ton. Yes. Yeah. And it's, we, we do, um, our vineyard's very small compared to what you guys have. And we do it all by hand and it, it is very time consuming. Yes, but, it is. 
Yeah. And I think the crackdown on the border with, you know, some of the, you know, the migrants that come in during, during the grow, uh, during the season for helping out with crops, you know, that's mm-hmm. had an effect on, on all the farmers out West too, I believe. Yeah, for sure. I can only imagine. <laughs> Having the right labor, you know, the labor pool. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of limits it a little bit. It does. Do you guys typically harvest your juice grapes? Ours are usually like so, September, October, so kind of, is that kind of the same? Yeah, that is the same time frame. And uh, we'll hit Verasion when we start to see, you know, a little bit on the Concord, we'll start to see a little bit of pink and then it'll start to turn more purple around mm-hmm. the middle to latter half of August. Okay. And once Verasion is called, once that date is called, it's usually predictable about 34 days from there oh, wow. is when we start. Wow. That's kind of cool that you can kind of see it. And then you're like, okay, this day is probably when we're going to start. Yeah. So <laughs> That's it's awesome. really important to start to get all the plants aligned to, okay, you know, let's start gearing up for, you know, it's usually around September 21st out West, September 28th in the East is when we're starting harvest Mm -hmm. and that'll vary depending on you know a number of factors as you know you know uh, usually verasion starts and we've got about half of the sugar accumulation at that point so we're typically at about called eight bricks and the targets around 16 which which Mm -hmm. is also different right you're targeting probably higher bricks yeah yeah the low 20s 20s, and then you've got acid targets that might be a little different uh, but our, yeah. you know, we're, what we're trying to do is our plants are pretty big. And so we're trying to gear up and make sure we have enough vineyards that are ready to go before we open the plant so that we can run the plant efficiently. Right. For, for example, yeah. the plant in Washington that you're very close to, mm-hmm. uh, we have two plants there, but we're only going to be running. We, we've converted one to run mostly apple now so we do apple processing oh. after harvest and we sell that as an ingredient we also use that in the products that use apple juice concentrate in our products so we find that we can process and produce a lot cheaper than you know what we can buy it for in the marketplace so that's why we do that there but in the plant one the larger plant where we do great processing we can run Anywhere from 3,200 to 3,400 tons per day. So so we need to have enough farms ready to go to get the deliveries going. Yeah, because you wouldn't want to start up all that process. Right. Because once we start, then Mm -hmm. it's 7, you know, 24-7 basically until we're done. So we typically will run from, let's say mid to late September to late October, early November, 24 seven. That's crazy. That's a lot of juice. Yeah. Yeah. We get about 205 gallons per ton and the average crop in the last 10 years has been about 300,000 tons. So what's that? 60 something million gallons, 61 million, 500,000 gallons. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot of juice. 
Got a lot of juice drinkers. It's good stuff, though. I really appreciate you guys' work. Yeah. Big fan. Of oh, great. Well, thank you. We're uh, <laughs> yeah. we're very proud to put out an excellent product in the marketplace. And, you know, the, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of uh, inventory the last couple of years. So you've been getting a very high Concord level in your juice. Mm, okay. And why do you guys use, so you just use the Concord and what's the white, the white grape that you guys use? So our two flagship products that we sell in the shelf stable aisle are the 100% grape juice, which I call it the 100% mm-hmm. purple grape juice, and then the 100% white grape juice. And so by law, you have to make those out of grape juice only. And okay. so let's use the purple grape juice as an example. So the Concord is used in purple. The Niagara is our white grape juice, <laughs> our, our white grape, and that's used in our white grape juice. For the purple grape juice, we, if we don't have enough tons, you know, because crop sizes do vary, if we have a killing frost in the east, those types of things happen, we will vary the formula. We'll always have a majority of the Concord or a majority of the grapes, grape juice that's used in the blend is Concord. But in times when we're at, you know, a high inventory, we will run mm-hmm. more like 80 to 100%. And if we're at, you know, low inventory, we'll probably be more like 55 to 70% in that range. Of, of Concord. Okay. And then the rest of the blend mm-hmm. is going to be red and white grape concentrate that we buy from California. Okay. Gotcha. So we have suppliers from California oh, that, that have uh, concentrators and, and they are owned by the wine companies out there. So Gallo is a company that we work with. We actually sell Concord to Gallo as an ingredient because oh, cool. they're making Concord juice, um, they have Concord wine, sorry. And uh, that's, that's what I was in Europe, about. they're selling a, I think it's a Carlo Rossi brand Concord, and it's doing fabulously. So, oh, you know, wow. yeah. I didn't know, you could, I didn't know Carlo Rossi was making a Concord. That's so cool. That's interesting. This, I think, you know, the sweet wine is um, something more popular among millennials. So I believe, you know, that's a, that's a cool. big trend across you know, whether it's the U.S. or Europe, uh, there are more people drinking Concord wine, apparently. So that's good for us. Uh, yeah, we sell about absolutely. a third of our crop through our ingredient, our ingredient business. But, but you know, there's only so many players in the, in the grape business. So the Gallo right. has, you know, a, a California concentrate part of their company, and they sell concentrate to other winemakers they sell it to juice makers like us and mm-hmm. they probably sell it you know all over the world i'm i'm, I'm imagining mm-hmm. so they must have a pretty big yield yes so that's that's how the blending is done and then the blend flex that i mentioned blend flex program what we did we spent about you know probably several you know i'd say a couple of million dollars on this endeavor really making sure that the blending matrix that we use, so whether it's high Concord or low Concord, that it's equally acceptable among our consumers. 
Not that, you know, mm-hmm. not that you wouldn't be able to tell exactly a difference if, you know, one day you got 100% conquered or another day you got 60% conquered. But the one thing that right. we learned in that research is that the conquered flavor is very strong. Yeah. And so <laughs> as long as the the other grape juices that you're using don't have a strong flavor note, as long as you can blend, they're, they're blendable, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, tends to work pretty well in our in our product, so that's what we seek out. We seek out very neutral, we'll call them filler juices, if you will, and then Concord is really the star in that product. And the same thing with Niagara, the 100% white grape juice Niagara flavor is in there, and and that's a unique mm-hmm. flavor that people like. But then we use a very neutral white grape juice to blend with it. And is it traditional? Um, have has Welch's always used Concord and Niagara for their juices, or has that been something you guys have figured out down the line that this makes the best flavor for the juice? So the Concord, you know, has a long history. I don't know if you get a chance to read some of the uh, the notes I sent you, but the Concord was in, yeah. invented here in Concord, Mass. I'm sitting in Concord, Massachusetts, right now, and. Mm. I saw something that, like, the the original vine it's, is still It's still there. alive, yeah, 170 years Which old. Which is cool. <laughs> we actually amazing. helped revive it. Um, there's a, oh, wow. you know, Concord, Mass. is a very historic area. It's where, you know, the Battle of Lexington and Concord happened and the uh, shot heard around the world. You know, there's all, all that history. But we also have mm-hmm. the grape history. And there's a grape cottage that's on the kind of the, the trail, the historic trail that you can go see. And it was the, the whole area was getting overgrown and you know the house had changed hands a couple of times. And if you remember this old house, the the show This Old House where they rehabbed houses, mm-hmm. uh it was one year it was on this old house and they rehabbed the grape cottage. Oh wow. And the owner contacted us and she said, Hey, would you like to help me, you know, with the vine and we went over there and and we said, well, the vine needs sunlight. You know, we you need you need to have sunshine here to help it. And sure enough, we right. trimmed it back. They they cut down a few of the trees and it's still still living. In fact, so cool. five years ago when we moved in, uh, maybe it's six six years ago when we moved into our current headquarters here in Concord. We didn't have a vineyard sitting outside the building, and I took the lead on that, and we actually got clippings from the original Concord Vine, and we had one of our growers actually grow Concord plants, and so we've got two rows of Concord Vines that came from the original Concord Vine in in, uh, Concord Mass, so pretty cool. It is super cool. That's special. It is. Yeah. So... You guys do anything special with the grapes, the fruit that comes from those vines? Every year uh, we celebrate harvest with kind of a, our fiscal year ends in August. And so we'll have an employee get together outside in September. And typically, you know, we'll, we'll let everybody pick grapes and take them home and, you know, they can make fresh jam or jelly. Oh, nice. um, we also will, you know, evaluate different, test methods that maybe we're looking at to measure sugar right now it's a you know a destructive test right you have to take the grapes off the vine squeeze them and figure out 
what the sugar is, what the acid is. But there's lots of technology that's coming down the road where you can use infrared technology to measure. And so we've done a little bit of research with some local companies in that regard to try to figure that out. Um, but, you know, that's mostly, mostly it's more of a, it's a show vineyard, if you will, to, you know, hey, right. this is Welch's, here's our vineyard. And, and then the employees really <laughs> mm-hmm. get a kick out of it. Yeah, that I can imagine. That's mm-hmm. a really cool thing where you're like, oh, I get these from the original Concord. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. I like that a lot. So one question I did have is like, how do you make the sparkling grape juice? So is it kind of same process as they use to make the sparkling wines? Um, well, let me, let me tell you what we do. And then maybe you can tell me what okay. the sparkling wine process is. It's probably, probably similar. Um, we, you know, during the harvest, we're crushing the grapes uh, just mm-hmm. like, you know, other um, wineries were using fruit enzymes to, you know, turn the pulps into, into juice we're separating the solids from the liquids, you know, we're extracting, we're, we're all the, the, the skins, the pulps, the seeds are all going through our process. So we're extracting all the polyphenols and all that stuff. So that, that's done for everything. We, you know, so all our juice then is put up, it's pasteurized and stored in very large tanks. Our largest tanks are 700,000 gallons. And then we have, (laughs) then we have smaller tanks that, you know, are more working tanks, but, so we're starting with that, and then we're we're clarifying that juice and decanting off clear juice. That's what we start with. So in our sparkling product, we're using juice, and for the kind of the standard red and white sparkling, we're using juice plus a sweetener, whether that's oh. sugar or that's high fructose corn syrup, and we're blending that together, and then we're at the line itself, we have a carbonator that's adding carbon dioxide into the okay. juice. And we have a target certain number of volumes of carbon dioxide that we're trying to achieve to hit the spec for the consumer. And then we're bottling that in, you know, into uh, glass bottles and, you know, more of a traditional filling, cold fill and labeling process. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. And then for the rosé, well, um, I think there was a question about the rosé as well. And yeah. that is mostly Niagara juice with a, with a mm-hmm. little bit of Concord to make to give it that rosé um, appearance. And it follows the same process where we're bubbling in carbon dioxide to a certain level to create the sparkling uh, juice effect. Right. Mm. Nice. How yeah, how do they do it for wine? Um, well, we don't make uh, any sparkling wine out here, um, but I know for wine, there's two ways you can add the carbon dioxide in. Um, same way you had said it where you make the juice first and then you add in the carbon dioxide. Um, or more traditionally, what they do is they'll do a double fermentation. So they'll do the first fermentation um, and then move it to a new tank, and then they do a different fermentation process that traps the carbon yes, dioxide. Yes, okay, so that makes sense, right? So you're creating the carbon dioxide from the sugar fermentation then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. correct. Yeah, we always say if we make wine, we've made a mistake. 
<laughs> we're, we're trying to avoid we're trying to avoid wine at all costs um, because the fermentation note uh, and I think there was a question when I was talking about tasting our juice we we characterize the crop every year we we look at it and say is this a is this a typical quality is it excellent quality is it marginal quality and marginal quality is really when you have off flavors so whether that's you know a ferment note or if you have you know a stem note or a woody note uh, but sometimes you have to look past those notes because they're kind and the green note that I that I mentioned they typically mm -hmm. dissipate with time the the things that make it a really excellent crop are the is the grape flavor so that traditional conquered grape right. note if that's in abundance then it's it's typically an excellent crop and if you've got the right sweet tart balance that's fantastic right. the we we are trying to venture into the wine business because we've had you know the the consumption of grape juice even though we make an excellent product the consumption by consumers is declining over time just in general all right. juice products are declining in consumption so we're targeting now we've invented a new process to remove the grape note which we love but you know the winemakers mm -hmm. don't love that except for gallo that's using the concord as is most winemakers don't like that flavor it's just very strong very polarizing but you're very familiar right. with winemakers that use all types of juice right you blend just like we do and you have filler juice that you use just like we do and i know we've talked to a number of winemakers that, that do that uh, you know the laws out there vary by state but you know, suffice it to say that you can use other juices. And so we're trying to target that market coming in with a maybe a lower cost, decharacterized conquer that essentially is providing a red filler for for those areas, especially in the mm -hmm. east where you can't get a cheap red filler juice. We're targeting that market now. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, you got to kind of move with the times. Yeah. Um, do you have any theories of why you think the juice consumption is dropping? I think there's a number of things. I think, you know, as people get older, they, they want less sugar given the, you know, the risk, health risks that they, they perceive. I think the pediatricians have steered um, mothers away from giving their mm -hmm. children right. lots of juice where, you know, that was kind of the natural and, you know, initial experience with juice was when you were a child. So you have those two yeah. factors and, you know, I think there's a lot of misconception out there of, you know, where some people even tie juice, like it's just sugar. It's the same as drinking a Coca-Cola. <laughs> and, and when you see those types of things on social media, especially, you know, yeah. it's it's a bit disturbing because, you know, we're not adding sugar to our 100% grape juice. Right. It's all natural yeah. sugar and, you know, it comes with the the grape polyphenols that we're extracting. So, you know, there's a balance there. There's, you know, things that are good for you right. and it's everything in moderation. We're not saying to drink a whole bottle at one right. sitting, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, one glass of juice a day is not going to not gonna kill you. Yeah, and yeah. much like red wine it has 
health benefits, right? Like heart. It does. The Concord. Yeah, we have over 20 years of clinical research, in fact, that we've done to uh, establish our heart health claim. We actually have a heart health claim on our purple grape juice label. And that's Mm -hmm. tied to actual clinical research results. And we've had um, MDs take a look at it. We've had validation that, you know, can support that claim. So we continue to do that type of research and try to get that message out to folks that maybe don't like wine. Uh, But you can't, like when you look at the the general um, consumption guidelines from, you know, the FDA or the USDA where, you know, they want you to eat a different, you know, lots of different colors in your diet, right? Because they all provide different types Mm -hmm. of antioxidants to protect you. You, There's very few places you can get purple, right? You you, you can't get (laughs) purple or great polyphenols. There's, There's just very few of those available out there. So, we try to tell that right. story and we, we attend a lot of health conferences and we have a, you know, a marketing team that, that works pretty hard on social media to really combat some of the, you know, maybe the mixed messages or maybe some of the, you know, messages that aren't true um, about our juice. And, right. you know, it's a battle, but I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't have even really thought of that, though, that it is kind of a battle, though, with, you know, trends and media and everything. You have to get the truth out, get yeah. some good juice. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of looking when I um, first started talking with you over email, I was looking kind of at some of your social media and stuff. And um, you guys do a really good job of, like, you know, showing people drinking the juice in a bunch of different, like, ways like it's not just like kids that are drinking this juice like you know it's a it's a grown-up drink too exactly which i thought was very cool i really got that from a lot of like the pictures and stuff that you guys are putting in your social media i think on our website we have recipes as well we try to yeah get people to you know use the juice and even the spreads like uh, the grape jelly meatball recipe is is one of the most popular, you know, the barbecue, you basically make barbecue meatballs with Welch's grape jelly. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, It's very popular. So it's on our website. You can find that, but there's also, I don't know if we still have it up there, but there's a number of drink recipes that we had on there, uh, adult drinks. One of them, I'm not sure if we still have it. It's called the transfusion. It's pretty popular around Halloween. (laughs) When you mix, I think it's, um, Vodka, ginger ale, and Concord grape. Oh man, that sounds really good. And it <laughs> and it does look like blood. Looks, you know, if you dress up as a as a vampire, you can you can drink the transfusion while you're giving out candy to the little kids that are coming by. <laughs> yeah, Halloween yeah. is on the way. <laughs> yeah. And where do these recipes come from? Do you guys hold contests or do you just have people write in and send them to you? We've had a kind of a, a combination. We've had product development focus on recipes. Like we, um, we've had a big push to get outside of the juice and the jelly aisle and create, mm-hmm. you know, new food products. Alton Brown from the Food Network used to be our spokesperson on advertising. And he developed some mm-hmm. meat, um, uh, what shall I call them? Um, 
marinade, I guess is what he called them. Meat marinades with, you know, kind of a fruit, um, fruit base using Concord. Then you have, you know, just more your traditional barbecue sauce. Uh, you can make ice cream from our, mm-hmm. our grape juice. We've made salad dressing. You know, we, we've done a number. We've made solid grape food. So a couple of years ago, we had fruit jerky. We had um, oh, grape wow. fruit bits that we were selling, 100% Concord bits. So there's just, you know, been a number of efforts oh, wow. uh, that we've we've tried both from formulation processing and then consumers, I think, do write in and give us their best ideas. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, we were kind of wondering because we had looked over the recipes and some of them were more complex recipes and some were more straightforward. So I was just not really sure, like if you guys had a test kitchen that was developing them or or what. We had a but there's some we had an intern good in things on there never even considered. Yeah, we hired an intern who was um, working to be a chef. We hired her last summer, mm-hmm. and she came up with all kinds of new ideas with with our grape juices and uh, grape ingredients. So that was you know a more recent inspiration. Yeah, there's some really clever stuff that I would never have mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. thought of. Also, what a fun job that would have been. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, try this. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on out east, and maybe we'll uh, we'll give you a, yeah. give you a try. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring you a bottle. Of oh yes, yes. <laughs> I'm a I'm a fan to, of of uh, wine and bourbon and Irish whiskey and. Oh yes, <laughs> good Irish whiskey is hard to beat. You like to have a good time. Yes, yes. Like. I've been to I've been to Dublin a couple of times. Ooh, oh, I want to nice. go to Dublin. It's, That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're ever like in the Idaho area, you can definitely come visit our vineyard. Mm-hmm. That grape food project I mentioned, I think we were working with a co-manufacturer out in Idaho. It's oh, very wow. very difficult to get to Idaho from Boston. I'm telling you. And <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. It's not an easy yeah. place to fly into. Long trip. No not it's getting better yeah slowly but surely yeah you usually have to come through seattle yes i think that's right we had to go all the way to seattle and then come through which seems kind of crazy but Mm -hmm. there i think salt lake is another big one yeah come through fine what's um so you sound like you're on more of the blending side of things is that right your job at wilch yeah so my you know, director of Gr- the Grape Center of Excellence, and we put a lot of functions within that. So we're in charge of the 100% grape juice recipes. I run the juice profitability team to make sure that we are getting the most profit out of all of the tons that we sell. I am a chemical engineer by training long time ago, 1986, mm-hmm. and <laughs> have... Uh, led the process engineers on my team to develop new technologies. Um, we're in Costco, as a matter of fact, with a not from concentrate juice. You may see it in your local Idaho Costco. If, uh, if you're a Costco member, it's, uh, it's the Kirkland brand. And okay. we're using a technology that's used in the wine industry that you may be familiar with, the electrodialysis technology that removes potassium and stabilizes the juice and that's what is used by a lot of the large wineries if you recall 
maybe you don't, but, um, you know, many years ago, there used to be little white crystals on the bottom of your bottle, you know, bottles after they aged in the wine cellar, you know, you'd have a lot of wine salts is what they called them. And that's just potassium bitartrate. And we get the same thing in our juice. You know, it's not, it's not just wine. It's just something that's, that comes with the grape juice territory. And to do a natrium concentrate blend is not easy. You have to be able to stabilize those tartrates because they continue to fall out of solution over time. Um, so mm-hmm. we leveraged uh, you know, a technology that's very popular in the wine industry to be able to stabilize the juice. So it's essentially filtering out the potassium and preventing any of those crystals from forming. Mm-hmm. But it still tastes oh, yummy. So. The juice tastes fantastic. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes. Like uh, who's uh, who's over in California? Is it Mondavi? Robert Mondavi. He's they're over in Napa. Know. What Robert Mondavi Vineyards and uh, they sell mm-hmm. Woodridge. I think is one of their one of their wines. They use this technology. Um, but okay. a number of the big players in California are using it. Okay. Yeah, so I work on those yeah, types uh, of things. So process process technology. Um, we have clinical research is in, is on my team. So I have a, a Dr. Jolyn Whiteman who leads all that work. She's actually a former. Um, she she worked in the wine industry, Canadagua, uh, and then Polyphenolics is another company that she worked for. So she's very well known in the industry and has led all of our clinical research since 2005. And um, that's pretty much it. I have packaging responsibilities as well, but that's not as interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Necessary. You know, I did did have some questions about packaging, actually, Um, because I see it's part of your guys' sustainability is that you're reducing material and packaging. Is that part of you? Yes. So I sent you the pillars of sustainability. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we're lightweighting our packaging right now. So the we actually have a a team at one of our plants this week testing a new lightweight bottle. I think we're going to reduce the weight by like 25%, something like that. Yeah, so those are always, you know, we're always trying to reduce cardboard, plastic, you know, anything we can. I always say it's in our best interest, but it's also good for the environment to do so. Yeah. And then our farmers are also, they have a, I I sent you the entire policy so you could see it. This is something Mm -hmm. that we publish out on um, our internet. I don't know if you could find it out there, but, you know, it gives you a good idea of what we're trying to do. Because the farmers are in it for the long term. They, there are some farms that have been passed on. Now the fifth generation is running the farm. So, yeah, so you know, cool. sustainability is really important to them because they need to, that's right. uh, sustaining their livelihood. Right. How often do they have to like replant? Like, I know, how long do the vines last here? Oh, pretty long. Yeah, yeah. they don't fit, like, like our vines don't get like I mean the ideal maturity would probably be around thirty thirty five years. Um, so with Concord grapes, I guess what's the ideal maturity for them? I mean the 
generally speaking, it's 50 to 100 years. It's longer than longer than the um, than the standard wine. But you know, you'll have situations that occur. Like last year, we had the polar vortex come down and really affect the Michigan region. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing some vines in Michigan, especially the Niagara vines, we're seeing them collapse under the weight of the grapes. And so they're basically going to have to tear all those vines out and, you know, start over. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. that's when you yeah, see, that's... you see, you know, replanting occurring um, due to more uh, environmental damage than, than anything or, um, you know, new farm maybe they're adding adding uh, capacity but we don't see a lot of people adding right now given the you know oversupply that we've had in the industry mm-hmm. makes sense yeah i was i was kind of so i'm from upper michigan originally and i was surprised to hear about um welch's having vineyards down in lower michigan cuz i don't associate um michigan with like large amounts of growing because of how cold it is in the lake effect. And exactly. But, I mean, Concord and Niagara yeah. are cold, hardy see- grapes, but we still have difficulty mm-hmm. when you have those spring frosts. Um, but they, yeah. Michigan, let me tell you, the, the flavor that we get, the mm-hmm. Concord flavor from those grapes. Yeah, you, you asked me on one of the questions about uh, is there variation in flavor from region to region? And Generally yeah. speaking, in the West, we see a little bit more muted uh, top note. So that that typical grape methylanthranolate is the actual chemical name for it. But that grapey note that you associate with grape juice, we see less of that. We see higher sugar and we see lower acid in the West. In the East, we see higher acid. And we see more of that top note. So blending gives you kind of a more consistent product. But in Michigan, Mm -hmm. even in the east in Michigan, it usually has a much more balanced um, and better, better flavor than than we see in the in the, uh, let's say, New York and um, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That is interesting. Just in general, right? It's not like it's mm-hmm. every single year, but in general, you know, we we see that. But we also see more variation in crop size there. Like this year, mm-hmm. for example, the the Niagara crop was supposed to be seventeen thousand tons, and when we started to see the effects of the freeze, the hard freeze that we had. We're down to around 5,000 tons. So, you know, you can do the math on that, but that's a very substantial drop in that particular (laughs) crop. Now, the Concord wasn't affected as much. It's more hardy. The vines are more Mm -hmm. hardy in the cold than the the Niagara. But that really, you know, hurt those growers uh, who are heavy, you know, on the Niagara side. Do you guys do anything for the farmers that have um, a bad harvest? Well, there's crop crop insurance that's available. So the farmers Mm. have the option to buy crop insurance each year. And if they have crop insurance, then they'll be protected. But Welch's as a whole doesn't do that. National Grape really manages that and provides advice to the growers as to what, you know, what they should do. 
-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think if we could just kind of go over um, the juice tasting process that you guys do um, after you harvest, um, we can have our listeners know what you guys do for your juice sure. tasting. Uh, so <clears throat> there were, I guess we don't call ourselves super tasters. We call ourselves more expert conquered <laughs> uh, tasters, oh, uh, but probably would be the same as a super taster on the wine side. The mm -hmm. There's a few of us <laughs> that have been around, you know, long enough that gotten very accustomed to what to look for because the conquered flavor is so strong, right? If you flavor, you taste that you really, there's some nuances you really have to look for to make sure that you're evaluating. So first, you know, we bring in um, clarified juice. So mm -hmm. the, the crop juice goes into our, our tanks and then we, we have a final clarification process to get that clear juice that you see in your, in your bottle. We'll send those in from each region and then we'll gather all the expert tasters and we'll evaluate um, prior to, we have a board meeting in October and we're evaluating all the regions and reporting into the farmers actually who are on the board in October, what their crop tastes like relative to uh, history. So, you know, I typically will gather that information and we'll look at sugar content, color, acid, and taste. And the taste is primarily, as I've described, more of the, the grape note, the balance mm -hmm. between sweetness and tartness, and then off flavors. And those are the things that we're looking for. And then based on the expertise that, you know, the team has around the table, we then decide, is this a, you know, exceptional crop? Is it more of an average crop? And, you know, to some extent, it's a judgment call, but it's based on a long history of tasting the crop from year to year. And we're looking at both a Concord and Niagara from each of the growing regions. So Washington, Michigan, New York, and Pennsylvania. How long have you been with Welch's? I've been with Welch's since 2005. Okay. And before that, I was with Folger's Coffee and Millstone Coffee. So I did a lot of coffee tasting <laughs> back in the day. I was an expert <laughs> coffee taster as well. There you go. Which, yeah. which do you enjoy more, the coffee or the wine tasting? Grape juice. Oh, sorry. Grape juice tasting. <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoy wine tasting. <laughs> but I also, I do enjoy the, I think I enjoy the, um, the grape juice tasting. Grape juice is a little simpler than coffee, though. Um, coffee mm -hmm. is very complex from a blending standpoint, and that's not what today's podcast is about. But uh, we had a BlendFlex program for coffee, and it was much more sophisticated because the different beans, as you roasted them, you created flavor. So, you know, the right. grapes are coming in, and they already have flavor from Mother Nature, and then we're just, you know, trying to not do any harm. In the case mm -hmm. of coffee, you're creating flavor with roasting, with grinding, um, lots of different techniques there that I could talk about for a long time. 
yeah, that is interesting. It is fun. Yeah. It would be nice to talk about that another time with you and we could like drink wine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think it's just great working on a consumer product that a lot of people know and love, like Welch's grape juice. Everybody knows and loves Welch's grape juice. I remember when I first right. started working at Folgers and I started to travel on airplanes and people would ask me what I did. And I'm like, well, I work for Folgers coffee. Oh, you do? That's so cool. Yeah. You know, what do you, yeah. how do you make coffee? And it was just really interesting. People didn't realize all the processing that went was involved in making coffee. And the same thing with grape juice. Right. It's, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Yes. Right. Well, similarly, working in the vineyard is people are always like, what do you do out there? And it's like, <laughs> oh, we do so also, many things. Like, yeah. we're always out there every day, you know. And there's just more than people realize that goes into creating something. Yeah, I mean, pruning mm -hmm. is really critical, right, for, for, mm -hmm. for you to get the right yield, but also the right characteristics. I, I've often tried to convince our growers to prune back some of the vines to increase color and increase certain characteristics, but there's a trade-off, right, with the, the yield that they need to get to run their business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we, yeah. we have a lot of, uh, we, are, we have a lot of different uh, discussions about things, but, you know, over the last 10 years since I've been here, I've been successful in getting new pay scales in place with the growers mm -hmm. that incent them for higher quality grapes so I feel very proud of accomplishing that, among other things. Yeah, I thought it was really neat that you, the pay scale can depend on the, the sugar bricks as well. Like, I think that's really neat that you're encouraging quality. Exactly, because, you, know? you know, for taste, it comes along with the sugar. Sugar's an indicator, um, but sugar's also standard of identity. So, you know, 12, mm -hmm. um, sorry, 16 bricks is the standard of identity for grape juice, and we need to be close to that because otherwise we get a lot of this green note unripe note that comes in and what's interesting is I, I worked with Cornell to really study that we did a lot of tasting early on in my career and the product development team that was in charge of the blend before I took over would tell me we've got this green note we don't know what it comes from and it happens every year and as I started to understand what it was is when we start up the process the grapes are not all at 16 bricks we're high enough mm -hmm. to be able to fill the plant and to deliver a good, good tasting product. But in the first week, we typically get more of that unripe note than we do the rest of the harvest. And if you let that green note dissipate, it'll go away in about 30 days. So what we did with the growers and they were, you know, they were putting in, they were blending a lot of their low, cause you know, on a vineyard, you have certain parts of the vineyard that achieve a higher bricks and another mm -hmm. part of the vineyard is at a lower bricks at any one time. And so what they would do is they would blend. They'd be blending grapes from different parts of their vineyard to hit a certain target. And what we found is that the blending of those lower bricks grapes, even though they were hitting the, the sugar target, those lower bricks grapes they were blending in were doing harm. They were bringing in that green mm -hmm. note. And we would have consumer complaints go through the roof in the first month after we packed out that product. Yeah, so yeah. we convinced them that if we change the pay scale and allow them to bring those grapes in at the end of harvest, when we don't need them for bottling right away, and we would have enough time mm -hmm. to let the flavor mellow out, if you will, um, mm -hmm. it made all the difference. Yeah. 
So we don't have yeah. any green note issues anymore because of that that approach. So we're we're very pleased yeah. with that. Very proud of that accomplishment. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. That's so really it gives neat. the consumer a more consistent product year round, and instead of right. seeing some variability coming right out of harvest when the grapes are fresh and you just don't want to have that unripe note. It's just a, not, not a very good, not a very good thing. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't sound tasty. <laughs> what, what about you? What's your favorite Welch's product? Would you I say? think my hundred percent purple grape juice is still my favorite product. Mm -hmm. it's Although yes. we, you know, we do have a license. Oh, not, I guess it's not a license. We're selling a global ingredient product. We're blending for, Nestle, they make that uh, Edie's, I think it's Edie's uh, grape bar, or it's, um, do you know what I'm saying? The fruit bars. Have you seen those fruit bars mm -hmm. from Edie's? I think it's Edie's. Mm -hmm. We make that grape one. We, we, we produce That's that for them. And it is so much better than it used to be. And it has so much more flavor. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just, I'm very proud of that. That's a delicious product. Yeah. Cause I've noticed like for me, I don't like stuff that's like grape flavored. Cause it usually tastes like really processed. Yeah. Really yeah. Right. Fake. But like, I, yeah, but I noticed like with Welch's products, it's usually a fresher grape flavor. Mm -hmm. Like I know you guys did um, a collaboration with ghost, which is a, like a pre-workout energy drink and i um i tried it the the welch's grape flavor and i was really surprised because it starts as a powder and you know you mix it with water and it tasted like grape juice like it wasn't wasn't yeah, yeah exactly. that horrible mm -hmm. grape flavor if you will yeah we we yeah. license our name to ghost and in those license mm -hmm. agreements we typically will request and require them to buy our grape ingredients. So it's, it's likely that they're right. buying, uh, probably buying concentrate or, or juice. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're using their own proprietary drying process to, to maintain yeah. that. Yeah. But you guys have some, um, powdered grape, uh, products, don't you? So did I see that on your, um, products page on your website? It could be a licensed product. Um, we have a okay. lot of products that are licensed out there today, but yes, we do. We do right. have a, I believe that's a licensed product. The, the, the product that, that most people say, when you ask the question, what product do you like the most from Welch's? And people say the fruit snacks. <laughs> and that's actually a license. That's a licensee actually. A licensee makes that product. Oh, okay. And, and we get royalties for that, yeah. but um, that, right. uh, you know, the current generation out there typically will say that. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. The grape jam and the <laughs> natural grape, when, if you like the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I mean, grape jelly's fine, mm -hmm. but the grape jam has more fruit in it just because of the, um, the way the, the standard of identity works for the codex for grape jam. It, it requires okay. you to put more fruit parts in there. And then the naturals actually has more grape in it as well. So those are really good tasting jams and spreads if you mm -hmm. uh, if you like peanut butter and jelly, which I do every once in a while. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Fan. And I, I think we're going to have a little uh, Welch's feast this week. Where we're going to make recipes. Off Are you? Yes. All right. Yeah. That's well, yeah. send me, you've got yeah. my cell phone. Send me some pictures of yes. what you're doing. That's, that's For cool. Sure. We will. We will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to try it. We're all going to make something different. Mm -hmm. Bring it together. Well, if, yes. uh, if you do like in the fall, fall is quickly approaching mm -hmm. when football season comes, you know, have a, yeah. Have a football, uh, you know, party or something, and do the do the meatballs. That's 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 a winner, <laughs> yeah. honest to God. It's a it's a huge winner. They will, yeah. they will make us friends. Yeah, we're yes. we're gonna have um, a harvest party. Somebody will take somewhere have some harvest party, and we can have meatballs. The cool, meatballs. that's yeah. great. Let's just have it. Yeah. Yes, we will. We'll be like, hey, this is a Welch's thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking. You're welcome. To us. Yes, I enjoyed you. it very much. Well, we, we did, did too. too. It's very informative. It's mm -hmm. a really cool process that you guys have going on. If you need anything else or you want to learn any more, you know my number. Give me a call. Send me an email. Whatever you, whatever you want. Um, we will. We will be in touch. All right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll come see where you work. All right. Someday. Well, that sounds great. I'll give you a tour. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. and you can feel free to come, and we'll give you a tour. All right, that? that sounds great. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you. John. Bye-bye.